Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Monday, July 27th, and this is your FT News Briefing. Republicans and Democrats gear up for another week of stimulus debate. Oil production in the U.S. is on the rise, and a surge in coronavirus cases is putting a damper on European travel and tourism. Plus, we'll take a look at how Brexit talks are faring and why fisheries are one of the things holding up progress. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. Time is running out for members of U.S. Congress to agree on a new stimulus package. A package passed in March that sends $600 a week in federal unemployment to Americans hit by coronavirus lockdowns is set to run out. The federal moratorium on evictions expired on Friday. These benefits have been part of the effort propping up the U.S. economy during the pandemic. And the deadline seems like it couldn't come at a worse time. A survey by the U.S. Census Bureau shows that nearly 15% of Americans with a mortgage payment due have no or just slight confidence they'll be able to make it. That number is 35% when it comes to the way Americans feel about rent payments. And both figures have been on the rise in recent weeks. But today, Republicans are expected to unveil their proposals for a fresh round of stimulus. It would include another round of $1,200 cash payments sent directly to Americans. It would also include an extension on the federal moratorium on evictions and extend federal unemployment benefits, but at a reduced rate. Here's U.S. Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin on Fox News Sunday yesterday. I think workers and Americans understand the concept that you shouldn't be paid more to stay home than to work, that the fair thing is to replace wages, and it just wouldn't be fair to use taxpayer dollars to pay more people to sit home than they would get working and get a job. Mr. Mnuchin said the Trump administration and Senate Republicans would propose capping benefits at 70 percent of prior wages. But economists are worried that if the U.S. withdraws or even reduces stimulus, it risks a huge self-inflicted wound for the economy. It might ultimately lead to depressed consumption and potentially create a housing crisis. Once the Republicans' bill is introduced in the Senate, it'll trigger a new round of negotiations with Democrats. The Democrat-controlled House of Representatives passed its own $3 trillion recovery package in May, but Republican leaders declared it dead on arrival in the Senate. Now, turning to U.S. oil, which has had an uptick in production in recent weeks. Output bottomed out at around 10 million barrels a day in the second week of June. This was after coronavirus, as well as a Saudi-Russian price war, wrecked oil prices. But since then, production has picked up to just shy of 11 million barrels a day. Activity is increasing in big shale fields in Texas, according to Genscape, a division of consultancy Wood McKenzie. Oilfield services companies are restoring wells shut earlier in the year. They're also producing from others that were left unfinished as prices sank. Analysts said that U.S. production should stabilize at about 11 million barrels a day through the end of 2020. And the slow recovery will continue through next year, too. The consultancy Rystad Energy predicts that U.S. production will grow by about half a million barrels a day in 2021, but it's still well below the growth rates that we've seen in recent years. And surging coronavirus cases are prompting European countries to put some restrictions on travel. 
The World Health Organization reported a record number of coronavirus cases on Friday and nearly the same number on Saturday, more than 280,000. It's the highest volume since the start of the pandemic. By Saturday, the UK government said that Britons on holiday in Spain would be required to self-isolate for two weeks upon their return. This comes after a spike in infections in three Spanish regions. But the UK isn't alone. France said that any travelers arriving from a list of 16 countries from outside the EU where coronavirus is, quote, circulating very strongly would be subject to mandatory testing at French airports and ports. But these moves have not pleased the travel and tourism industry. Spain's travel industry is particularly feeling the brunt, with the country's foreign minister saying over the weekend that Spain is, quote, safe. Europe's largest tourism group, TUI, criticized the UK's decision. It said this level of uncertainty and confusion is damaging for businesses and disappointing for those who look forward to a well-deserved break. TUI said it would give a full refund to any customers who had been due to travel to Spain between July 27th and August 9th, or it would allow holidaymakers to rebook holidays with a, quote, booking incentive. And here's a story you should know more about. The UK and the European Union have been at work trying to hammer out a deal on their future relationship. There have been five formal rounds of talks so far, and another informal round set for this week. This month's negotiations have been billed as crucial to the chances of the UK and the EU securing an agreement by the end of the Brexit transition period. That's on December 31st. There are just a few points that are holding up the talks, but can the two sides come to an agreement? The FT's political editor, George Parker, points out that key players feel that they're far apart on the issues. The main protagonists, Michel Barnier from the EU side and David Frost from the British side, said that significant differences still remain. So now, as with these negotiations, as you'd expect, we're in a race against time, with a deadline looming probably in September or October. So, George, if I, if I understand this correctly, it's really just a few main issues that the two sides are hung up on right now. That's right. I mean, given the the sheer breadth and complexity of trying to negotiate a relationship between the UK and its biggest trading partner, the European Union, spanning not just trade, but other things such as security and data sharing, environment and so forth. It's interesting that really it's boiling down to two or three fundamental issues. And actually, they're fairly small scale in the greater scheme of things. The first one is that the EU is demanding that the UK should in future compete with the European Union on a level playing field. So, in other words, if we negotiate a trade deal without any tariffs or quotas on goods being traded between the two sides, that Britain shouldn't be able to undercut the European Union in a race to the bottom on regulation, for example, on things like subsidising failing industries or labour law or environmental law, the so-called level playing field. And that's become a bit of a thorny issue because the UK says, look, the whole point of leaving the European Union is we're supposed to be an independent nation able to set our own rules. The European Union says, well, hang on a sec. If you want to be able to trade with us on equal terms, you've got to stick by at least the framework of our rules and guarantee that you're not going to become some sort of offshore Singapore on the edge of the European landmass. The second one, fundamental, but really a tiny part of the British and European economy is fisheries. At the moment, Britain shares its waters with European Union boats under something called the Common Fisheries Policy. When the UK leaves the European Union, the UK will take back control over its own territorial fishing waters, which are some of the richest in Europe, in fact, some of the richest in the world. 
The European Union understandably wants to maintain some access to those waters for boats operating out of countries like France, Belgium and the Netherlands. So that's become a sticking point as well. There are other things out there too, but those are the two fundamental ones. So what should we be looking for in the next few weeks and, and next few months of talks? Well, we've got some another round of informal talks starting in the week coming in London. And then the next round of formal negotiations, as opposed to informal talks, will start on the week beginning the 17th of August. Now, anyone who knows anything at all about European politics or probably politics in most parts of the Northern Hemisphere would know that not much happens in the month of August. Then we're into September. Now, September is a vital month for these negotiations. Germany and Angela Merkel, who currently holds the presidency of the European Union, which rotates every six months, have basically said that in September they will be able to focus a bit more fully on Brexit and the trade negotiations. As you know, the European Union has been consumed by discussions about its future budget and how to respond to coronavirus over the last few weeks. So there will be a focus on these Brexit negotiations in September. And then there's a European Council meeting, a summit, in the middle of October. Now, I think really, realistically, both sides see mid-October and that European meeting in Brussels as being the sort of moment of truth, really, where these talks have got to be brought to a conclusion. The reason for that is, as a fairly technical one, that both sides need time to ratify any agreement. The European Parliament needs time to ratify the agreement. It has to be translated into all the the languages of the member states of the European Union. It has to be run through by the lawyers. So mid-October, I think, is really the moment when we have to see whether there is going to be a deal or not. So could the EU and UK ultimately walk away from these talks without a deal still? Well, that's certainly still a possibility. Both sides are planning for that because there's no guarantee at all that both sides will relent and there will be an agreement at the end of this process. However, despite the fact there's been quite a lot of sabre rattling, I think the fact of the matter is that it's in both sides' interests to get a deal. And as I mentioned earlier, when you look at the sheer scale of what's at stake here, And the relatively small nature of the things that they're fighting over, the state aid regime and fisheries and so on, then I think it's not beyond the wit of both sides to come to a deal. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024.